Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. As we continue to worship, let me invite you to take the Word of God, open the Word of God, turn in the Word of God to Acts chapter 8. We're going to see a church that has continued to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're seeing a church that has been confirmed through the giving of the Holy Spirit, now through the spreading of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see through great pressure and persecution come great power and presence of God. So you understand here, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is a man of God who's been chosen by God, elected by God to serve the church of God. So you can, Acts 7, kind of this first picture of deacon ministry come together and take place within the body of Christ to meet the various needs of the body of Christ. And Stephen is a man full of faith, a man full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen comes before a council as he's brought before, accused of, of heresy, accused of speaking against the power of God, and he comes preaching the power of God. And as he comes preaching, they decide that they've had enough, and they take him out of the city to be stoned. And as Stephen is stoned, great persecution then comes upon the church. And because of this outbreak, because of persecution, what we're going to see now for the first time is the church has scattered. That's the promise, right? That Jesus said in Acts 1.8, I'm going to come and I'm going to fill you up and give you my power. And then you're going to go from here, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? That is the plan. That is the promise for the power of God to go, to be reproduced. And so what we see here now in a moment, the apostles all stay behind and then the church begins to scatter. And the focus is on not who stayed. The focus is on who was sent. And so if you will with me for the reading of God's word, let's stand together. We're going to start in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and we see the beginning of this incredible story of the gospel being spread to the ends of the earth. Saul, he was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Remember Saul, we're going to know him later in Acts 9, he's going to become a man named Paul, that's his other name in a different language, and Saul was there and he was at the stoning of Stephen when the men took off their cloaks to stone him. And he died stone by stone by stone. They all laid their cloaks at the feet of a man, a Pharisee named Saul. So Saul's here, and he was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They're coming against the church as great persecution. How bad was the persecution? They all began to scatter throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The church is in panic mode, they're all scattering because they're all being dragged off and thrown in jail. And so the church begins to move. They begin to get out of Jerusalem, and they begin to go to the other places around the city and around the region. And some devout men, in verse 2, they stayed behind. They buried Stephen, and they made loud lamentation over him. They grieved him even though they knew where he was going. But Saul, how's the ministry of Saul going to begin? Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women where he would put them in prison. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat today. Let me invite you to have the text open before you. Invite you also to take the worship guide today. We're going to plug in some things as we walk together through the word of God. Again, the focus is not going to be on those who stayed behind, but those who are sent because we're going to get out of Jerusalem. We're going to go to a town, to a city, to a country named Samaria. What is Samaria? You remember Samaria in John chapter 4. The disciples 
for no other reason besides just complete racial division and just hatred for someone else different, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were cultural and racial enemies. They did not do life together. And so they were in opposition to one another and they would even go around when they traveled, they would go around the city of Samaria. We we don't go into that part of the town. We don't go into that neighborhood. We don't go to those people. And so we're going to see here in a moment, a man named Philip. Philip was also one of the ones, one of the seven chosen by the church, elected by the church to serve the church. And we see Philip being called, sent by God to go to a place that most people didn't go. And so we're going to see number one. Here's what I want you to see. The first thing is we look in, in the rest of chapter eight. We're going to see this, the determination of a committed faith. All right, the, we see in, in Philip the determination of a committed faith. It goes on in our text in verse 4. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered. All right, again, the church was scattered. We're seeing believers scattered. Those who were scattered, how did they go about in their scattering? They went about preaching the word. They went about testifying. You'll be my witnesses, right? So they're being witnesses. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And what did he do? He began to proclaim Christ to them. The crowds with one accord, they're, they're, they're listening. They're giving attention to what was said by Philip. They heard, they saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case, what were the signs? Many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. We're seeing people delivered from demons, people delivered from oppression, from possession. They were being delivered. Not only were people being delivered spiritually, but many physically who had been paralyzed and lame, they were healed. Remember, these were signs of the Messiah in the Gospels, and now there's the signs of the Messiah's church, that this was the church of Christ. And so there was much rejoicing in that city. So Philip, he comes preaching to a town, comes preaching to a people under demonic oppression and demonic possession, and through the gospel, all right, he was preaching the good news. He, he didn't come preaching life habits. He didn't come giving a TED Talk. He came preaching the gospel, and through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see people get saved, we see people get healed, and we see people get delivered. The Samaritans, for the first time, they recognize the presence and the power of God has now come to them. The presence and the power of God has now come to them. And as a result of the gospel, as a result of people getting saved, it says the whole city was filled with joy. There's joy in the city. People are being saved by Jesus. People are being changed by Jesus. People are being delivered in the name of Jesus. There is great joy upon the city. And it's a a very simple and yet very profound evangelism strategy. Don't miss this in verse 4. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered, every believer who was scattered, they went about, and what was their goal? What was their objective? What was their strategy? They went about preaching the word of God. Don't miss the most effective evangelism tool that I can give you today. What we see here is that the Holy Spirit was being moved and using people and that everybody evangelized to everyone everywhere they went. That's all there is to it. Everybody evangelized, shared the gospel, gave a witness of the power of Christ. Everybody evangelized to everyone everywhere they went. That's all there is to it. They were scattered, they went, and they preached as they went. It's that simple. And they teach us two things. These scattered believers are going to teach us two powerful truths of application. Here's the first one. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been anointed, and you have been appointed for your assignment. You have been anointed, you have been appointed for your assignment. You've been anointed how? You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You don't walk alone. You don't walk on your own strength. You don't have to have your own words. You've been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the living God living inside of you. And so you've been anointed for the work of Christ. And then you've been appointed because you've been called and commissioned to be his witness. You've been appointed to go and do the work, and that's your assignment. You don't need anything else. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God, and you have a people to reach, right? You have everything in front of you. Your mission feet is always right between your own two feet, right? That's your mission field. It's always right between your own two feet, and we have to understand that we faithfully serve Jesus when we fully share Jesus. You want to faithfully serve Jesus? Then you need to fully share Jesus with everyone. The Holy Spirit, as Dr. Adrian Rogers said again, the Holy Spirit was not given for your enjoyment. The Holy Spirit was given for your employment, You've been anointed and you've been appointed for your assignment. And number two, the second thing we see in these scattered believers, and I love this, God can use our detours and our disappointments for someone else's deliverance. God can use our detours and our disappointments for someone else's deliverance. Have you ever considered in all the ups and downs of life, in all the detours and all the side roads, and all the directions that you didn't plan on going, and all the wins, and all the losses, have you ever considered that those were God's assignments for you to testify to the goodness of God in your life? Because it says these believers, they were scattered. Again, I've never been in a place, I've never been in a situation where people were charging into my home and dragging off my parents for knowing Jesus, right? That's what's happening in the city of Jerusalem. Saul is overseeing this, and there's people going into homes, and they're not knocking and quietly saying, hey, listen, uh, we're we're going to take all the Christians and put them over here. They're dragging them. Right? They're taking them to jail for public scorn and shame. And so these people are scattered. They're, they're, there's a little bit of just a lot of life happening all at once where they're, they're kind of all over the place. And as they're scattered, man, God uses the twists and turns of life to make a difference to someone else. And so don't ever underestimate what God can do through an up season or a down season in your life. I don't know where you may feel scattered today or what may feel scattered in your life. And it may be your marriage. It may be your job. It may be your finances. It may just be relationships. It may be anything and everything. And everything feels scattered. Everything feels off. Everything feels in not in the right place. But understand this. God can use you and your witness to reach someone else. It's not all about you. Amen. It's about Christ. And so we see that they teach this. And so that's how the word was beginning to spread. They were scattered. The people were being saved. But there was a man who saw the gospel as a threat. What do we read in verse 9? We read about a man named Simon. We're going to be introduced to a man here. It says this. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city. And he was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, who, the smallest to greatest, all the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, they were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention. Why? Because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. So there's a man named Simon. Simon had the people of Samaria in the palm of his hand. He's basically an occult leader. This is a guy who has manipulated people. It's a guy who's taken people in a situation and used different things and different projections and different illusions to make them fall underneath literally a spell that he has upon them through just his personality. They thought he was a great man of God. They thought he had the great power of God. And we're literally seeing a man using the world to bring people underneath the rule and the reign of satanic oppression. Right? Anything that is not of God is of the other person, Satan, the other man who moves in this world. And then we see Simon is an occult leader leading people into false truth. 
He's the first false teacher that we see in the city of Samaria, and and he's had these people for a long time, they've been giving attention to him. They've been listening to him, and they've been following his false teachings, and he gave people an illusion of power. Understand, it's always an illusion, because even Satan has no ability to create. You know that. Satan has no ability to create. He can only fabricate. He can only replicate. He is the prince of the world, not the prince of the air, because he has no power to make anything come together. He can only imitate, replicate, and duplicate, and he can only do it under a false impression. So he's got a false illusion, a fabrication of truth. He's a great pretender, and he can pull off only what he does by deception and demonic power. And it says in verse 9, it says that they were all underneath this kind of illusion of false truth, practicing all kinds of demonic magic and demonic work in that city, astonishing the people. They're all kind of just lost and confused, claiming to be someone great. He thought his greatness was his glory. Here's what I want you to see in the life of Simon right here. Pride. That's all it is. It's pride. Pride is the greatest threat and thief to your salvation. Pride. It is the greatest threat and thief to your salvation. Simon is here claiming to be what? Someone great. I'm the man. I've got the power. I've got influence. I've got control. I I need to rule and reign and run things like this and everything here. And and pride is literally going to, we're going to see in a moment, pride is going to rob the heart of all things good. Pride will rob your heart of genuine brokenness. Pride will rob your heart of genuine repentance. Pride will rob your heart of genuine humility because you won't think you need God. You won't think and recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. We see that when you fail to see yourself as God sees you, then pride creates an illusion of yourself. And Simon had it. He only, not only had an illusion over the people, but he had an illusion of himself. And pride is going to cost him eternal life because pride, what did pride do? Let's think all the way from the beginning. Pride robbed the angels who fell in the beginning of heaven. Pride robbed Adam, the Garden of Eden. Pride doomed Sodom. Pride cost Haman his life. Pride gave Uzziah leprosy. Pride cost King Hezekiah his entire kingdom. Pride made King Nebuchadnezzar lose his ever-loving mind. Pride, pride loved, or caused the Pharisees to completely miss the Messiah. We're seeing that pride, the sin of pride, according to James chapter 4, verse 6, pride condemns men. God opposes the proud. And so we see this man full of pride who, who was not able to recognize his sin in a Savior. This man's pride is going to prevent him from coming all the way to Christ. But praise God, because even when we have pride, even when we have rejected, resisted, rebelled against the living God, the gospel delivers us from all deception. Because in verse 12, it goes on. It says, when they believed Philip, but when they heard another truth, when they heard the actual truth, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. So we have a whole city from least to greatest, a whole group of people under demonic oppression. Obviously, people there being delivered from demons, so demonic possession. There's a lot of darkness. There's now the gospel. There's great joy. And they started believing the good news of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, they're being set free. And they're coming to the truth. And they're finding freedom in Jesus Christ. Their lives are being changed in Jesus' name. Man, it's an incredible revival. And Simon jumps in. Look at verse 13. 
Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was just constantly amazed. You can kind of see this guy's his eyes are just getting bigger and bigger, right? Oh, man, look at this. I thought I had something. These guys have something. And he's constantly amazed. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember, the gospel is going to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. All right. So as the church moves, the Holy Spirit moves through them, moves with them as they preach the good news. And so as he, the church begins to move, the Holy Spirit begins to move with them, leading them. And they began laying their hands in verse 17 on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, this sounds like Simon, sounds like one of those powerful testimonies, right? Sounds like a testimony of someone, I can't believe that guy got saved. All right, you know those people, right? You know those people who are living like this, and they're way out there, and you think there's not a chance in the world that person's ever going to change and, and ever become a new creation in Christ, right? We, we find those testimonies of unlikely people coming to Jesus, and at, at first read, that, that's how Simon his story reads. It's like, man, he actually came. He, he made a decision to follow Jesus. But we're going to see that's one of his last illusions that he pulls off because he, he continued not because he loved Christ. He continued because he wanted to grab God's glory for himself. But that didn't stop the other people. All right, so there's a whole town of people who are following Jesus, whole town receiving the gospel. Word about this revival breaking out comes back to Jerusalem. Peter and John are like, oh, man, praise God. We got to go see this. We got to go confirm this. We got to go affirm that. And we got to go and we got to verify the work and the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John go and they begin to lay their hands upon them and people begin to receive the Holy Spirit. Now that causes us to pause and say, wait a second. I thought that when you made a decision for Christ and you repented of your sin and you received Jesus, that you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit right then and right there. Yes. Amen. That is the gospel truth. The moment that you receive Jesus Christ in repentance and regeneration is the moment you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is no second blessing. There, there is no biblical evidence of that. What we're seeing here is the evidence of the church being affirmed by the apostles. What do you mean by that? Well, here's what we remember. At this time, the Holy Spirit had not fallen until Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. He fell on all those believers, right? And what was the evidence? They began to speak the gospel in other languages, native tongues. Then the fire began to rest upon them. They saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit upon all these people. That's going to be the same thing here. The, the sign of Pentecost is going to come upon the sign in the people of Samaria. Why? Well, what have they been doing the last 500 years? The last 500 years, the Samaritans worshipped here. And the Jerusalem or the, the Jews worshipped here. They've been a church, a people divided. There's been no, no unity. They've not been together. Remember in John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well. And the woman at the well says, Well, hey, listen, my people say that the true temple's here, but your people say the true temple's there. What are we gonna do about this? How do we solve this riddle? How are we gonna bring this whole thing together? And what does Jesus tell her? There will come a day. When it won't matter if you worship here, it won't matter if you worship there, but it's going to be where I am that you will worship me in spirit and in truth. So it's not a location, it's a person, right? It's not a location, it's a person. And so what the apostles are coming to do is to bridge that gap by saying, yes, it's not here, it's not there, but in spirit and in truth, we're not building two different bodies, we're building the one body of Jesus Christ, 
1 Corinthians 12 says we are many members, but we are one body. And so we're not showing a divided church. We're one church, multiple locations. Amen. That's how this is going to work. And so we see here they come together, and the Holy Spirit brings people together that would never be brought together otherwise. Gospel unity. And so the fact that two men, a part of Jesus' inner circle, two men, apostles, two men, eyewitnesses, two men who are part of the establishing of the first church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, they come and say, Yes, we are one church in the name of Jesus Christ. We are united by his spirit. And so we see this incredible determination of committed faith, which takes us to number two, the second character in this narrative the destruction of counterfeit faith. All right, the destruction of counterfeit faith. So Simon, he's got superficial power. He didn't have real supernatural power, and he knows it because he sees the real thing. And what does he want when he sees the real thing? Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Remember, he's falling around. He's constantly amazed. Oh, man, is this what real power looks like? i got to have that. If this is all it takes, if I want to keep control and I want to keep my little you know, side hustle going of taking advantage of people and having this occult ministry, I, I need to have this. And so he sees real power. He knows he's only simulating. He's not actually anything supernatural. And so he sees the real power. He offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, verse 19, so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. That was, may you and your money be condemned to hell. Why? Because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart. Here's the problem. Your heart is not right with, with, before God. Therefore, repent. So instead of just bad news, there's also good news. Repent, for it's too late of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So we got Simon here. Simon, he fell in line, right? He got, he got baptized. He made a decision. Simon he joins and falls the profession of faith. He got baptized. He saw Peter and John lay hands upon these new believers and pray for them. And, and he said, you know what? I want to purchase the power of God. I want that. That looks good. I'm, I'm the great power of God. That's my reputation. I got to have the great power of God myself. And Peter rebukes Simon. He condemns him and his money to hell. But then he still calls him to repent. He says, hey, listen, your heart is completely broken. You're not only a, a manipulator of men, but now you're trying to manipulate God. Your heart is corrupt. Your heart is counterfeit. And I'm going to tell you right now, repent before it's too late. You're on the edge of eternal destruction, man. Move back to God. Do not have a prideful heart. Do not have a counterfeit heart. Do not have a corrupt heart. But come with a confessing heart to Jesus. And we're going to see the first thing that, that makes, point, or makes sense in this text is this, that salvation is never for sale. Salvation is never for sale. That's verse 20. He tells him, I want to purchase the power of God. I want to purchase the, the goodness of God. And he said, and may your silver perish. May your effort to buy God off, may that perish and may that be condemned because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. What does that mean? That we can't purchase salvation. I can't negotiate the blessings of God. 
I can't try to bargain with who God is and what he does in my life. And more than that, I can't earn anything. I can't gain anything. And I can't perform my way into anything. Ephesians chapter 2 will tell us that I'm dead in my sin. And apart from the power of Christ, I have no hope. I've fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3. And I'm condemned in my sin unless I repent of that sin. And there's no way that I can buy, earn, gain, or perform my salvation because it only comes by a work of grace. And through what God has done in my place, I put my faith in him. That's the only way man comes to God, is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is the only way we can come. And we read a man trying to buy God off. And you think, man, that's crazy. That's so unrelatable. But is it? Is it really that far off? Because here's what I think we do on a practical level, if we'll just be honest for just a moment. We think, if I live good enough, and if I do good enough, God owes me. All right? If I go to church enough, I tithe enough, I serve enough, man, God better give me something back. I've earned it. I've done it. In fact, when stuff falls apart, I've heard this a lot, when things are falling apart in life, they say, man, I don't understand. I've lived my entire life for God. Why would he let this happen to me? As if God owes us something, Right? We practically live like that if we're going to be honest for just a moment and think it's really not that far off that I try to earn God's love and I think he'll love me more if I do these things. So I'm going to go to church and get the star chart. I'm going to make sure I get that giving statement at the end of the year. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to be doing to make sure I've got everything in line and then God's going to owe me one. And he better pay up because if he's not, then I'm going to blame him for all my problems. And I'm going to say, how could a good God let bad things happen in this world as if he's the cause? as if we can blame him for everything. And so we understand that the grace of God is never for sale. We are undeserving sinners that he chose to love and call to himself. Amen? None of us deserve it. None of us have earned it. None of us have performed it. The fact that I can sit here with breath in my lungs and tell you the good news of Jesus is the grace of God. The fact that you have ears right now to hear and a heart to respond and to be broken before a living God is the grace of God. And so I would challenge you in the same way. Hey, don't try to negotiate. Don't try to bargain. Don't try to buy off God. But repent while you still have an invitation. Salvation is not for sale. It's a free gift for all who would call It's not a reward for the righteous. It's always a gift for the guilty. And may we receive that good news today, because here's number two. You can't afford the price tag of a false profession of faith. You cannot afford it. You cannot afford the price of a false profession of faith. Look at verse 21. You have no portion in this matter. Here's the problem, Simon. Your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. And Simon Peter, or not Simon Peter, but Simon answered, Simon the magician answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. You pray for me so that nothing of what you said may come upon me. You know, something that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7 that we see evident here is that not, not everyone who claims Christ is converted. Not everyone who claims Christ is converted. In other words, you can be spiritual and never be saved. That's definitely the picture we have here, right? We're in church revival service, and we say, hey, if you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand? Simon's going to raise his hand. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today and you're ready to receive him as Lord and Savior, you come on down, come down the aisle. Simon's going to come down the aisle. 
Hey, if you, if you want to make that public today and you want to get baptized, would you come up in this cold baptistry and do it today? Simon's getting in there. Yeah. What do we got? Hey, hey if you want to you know, teach a life group, and do, Simon's doing everything, right? He's gone through every motion. He's got his name on a membership roll. He might even give 10%. He's definitely been baptized. He's definitely had a profession of faith. And what we're going to see here is this. The reality is that Simon, he's an unbelieving believer. Oh, well, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, Simon, he had truth in his head, but no transformation in his heart. Truth in his head, but no transformation in his heart. Why? His heart was not right with God. He thought salvation was external. Okay, so if all I have to do is this and look the part, then I'm good, right? I I can be a part of God's church and I can do all these things. And so he went through all the motions. He went through all the motions, but what's the evidence of his salvation and his misguided salvation with the wrong heart? He wanted to go back to his old lifestyle. How do we know that? Well, I want to purchase the power of God so I can go out and become the great power of God myself. He had no evidence of fruit, no evidence of transformation. He he didn't enter the narrow gate because he wasn't willing to walk the narrow path. And for Simon, we see that there was genuinely in his heart no repentance. And without any repentance, there was no rebirth. Simon was not reborn. He was not regenerated. And he was only concerned in verse 24, what was his main concern? Hey, I just don't want to be punished. I want to get out of hell free card. I just don't want to go to hell, man. Is that, you pray for me that I don't go to hell. I'll, I'll worry about everything else. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to avoid the punishment of God. And so he had all this possibility. He had all this potential. He had all the reality of everything happening around him, but he lost out on salvation. Why? Pride. His heart was not right before God. So I want to challenge you with this take-home thought here today. We don't live for the applause of man. We live for the approval of God. We don't live for the applause of man. We live for the approval of God. Because you can fool everyone else, but you can't ever fool God. We don't live for others to think we're the great power of God. I live for people to see the great power of God in me. I'm nothing. Right? I'm empty. I'm a vessel. I'm a broken clay pot that God has somehow put together and filled me with a treasure of the eternal glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. I have this treasure in a jar of clay, and I'm willing to be broken and spilled out and broken for him. But I'm nothing, and you aren't either. That's good news, because he's everything. And you don't live for the applause of men. You live for the approval of God. Would you make sure your heart is right with him right now? We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the Word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.